Tired of feeling foggy, having trouble remembering the little things, or simply looking for a way to keep your brain working at its best? Introducing Neurovello from Primrose Leaf, a perfect herbal combo to keep an active mind. Neurovello boosts memory, clears out brain fog, slows down cognitive decline, supports clearer thinking, and fuels focus. Contact Primrose Leaf today to find out more. Call 844-376-0007 or visit primroseleaf.com. Say goodbye to brain fog and say hello to Neurovello. My guest today is Nancy Jones, the wife of the greatest country music singer in the world, the late George Jones. Now, her new book, Playing Possum, My Memories of George Jones, is an in-depth autobiographical look of her life with a man who had demons she couldn't tame. But as she puts it, if God can change George Jones, God can change anyone. And with her as well is Kim Ken Abraham, a 15-time New York Times bestselling author known worldwide for his collaborations with very high-profile public figures, and he has written over 100 books, and his collaborations have been featured on several major television networks. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Nancy Jones and co-author Ken Abraham to the show. Welcome to the show for both of you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Thank you, Ward. Great to be with you today. It is, and I'm very, very excited, and I will uh, uh, be sincere and honest here. I read the book from cover to cover, and I think I became a much, even a much bigger George Jones fan than ever before, and uh, actually spent many hours going back and uh, listening uh, to his music. So uh, uh, it's an excellent read, I will say that. And uh, I'm going to ask you, Nancy, uh you had a very memorable first meeting with George. Was it just a meet and greet or was it an epic first date? <laughs> uh, well, a girlfriend of mine wanted me to fly to New York with her. And no, I didn't like country music. I was like, oh, Lord. No, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. She begged and pleaded. And I said, okay, I'll go with you. And when I went and saw this man up there singing, I mean, I've never seen anybody singing and don't open their mouth, <laughs> but he did. I mean, what a voice. Yeah. So that night, uh, after the show, we sat around and talked and talked and me listening to him pour his heart out. I felt like, well, he's never told anybody all this stuff. So I asked him and he said, no, I feel comfortable with you. I want to tell you some of the things that I've went through and what I'm going through. And I listened and I, I felt like then that there was a closeness already started right there. Well, early on in your relationship with George, did when did you actually realize there were actually two different sides of George Jones? At first, none at all. He was just the most sweetest man. I mean, he could cook good too. Yeah. But <laughs> whenever uh, we uh, went to Alabama, and when we got to Alabama, it uh, it was like, night and day that was where they were supplying the drugs and uh had him hooked and that i could see then he was changing it was not the same person and me i've never seen cocaine in my life and i didn't even know what it was i mean why are they putting this white stuff up their nose this is crazy so i asked him one day i said what what are you doing and he thought i was making fun because they, I guess he thought everybody knew what cocaine was, but not me. I mean, I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana, an old country girl. I didn't know none of that stuff, but uh, I learned real fast. 
and I, and I learn how to start dealing with it. Well, Ken, let me ask you, because uh, as, as you were uh, working with Nancy writing this book, uh, what did you think of the overall story of George Jones? Well, you know, in Nashville, Tennessee, I mean, George Jones is on the radio. He's, he's all around us here in Nashville, Tennessee. So I knew a lot about George Jones. But what I didn't know is what Nancy had endured to bring George Jones through all those those nasty things that he got into, the, the, the drugs and the alcohol and, and, and even some of the abuse that she took as, as his wife. I didn't know anything about that. And I think a lot of George Jones fans don't know those kind of things. And Nancy's had the courage to tell us about those things. So that, that was the, the one of the things that the early part of the book, uh, some fans are going to get mad at George because George wasn't very nice to this beautiful woman here next to me <laughs> for, for a while. But she believed in him and she loved him and she loved God and, and she believed that God could bring him through that and that there was something in George that was worth saving. And there sure was, as we know. And, and George even acknowledged later on that thanks to Nancy, that his life was saved. So it, it was, a, it was an, a whole new experience for me. It was, it was a, um, a fun time working with Nancy, but it was also a, a sad time at points. Um, but she told the truth. And I love it when somebody is willing to say, hey, there, here's the good, the bad, the ugly, and all the rest of that. But God is even bigger than all of that. Well, the fans didn't know what I was. I went through. Yeah. Neither did the music people here in Nashville. The only two people, Waylon and Johnny. And Johnny Cash was always praying and, and telling George, man, you got to straighten up. You got a good woman here and blah, blah, blah. And, and Waylon, you know, he was always so funny. He'd he'd say when I'd be preaching to him and George, he'd say, "George, put a muzzle on her." <laughs> but those two knew, but no one else knew. Not even the fans. No one in the music industry. So I kind of, I guess, battling it on my own. Well, you, what I loved about, and I'm, I'm probably have to give some credit to Ken on this one. I love the way the whole story from beginning to end about George and how it is told. And as I was reading every page, every chapter, every story, I never, I never looked at George with a negative light. People have problems. Right. I mean, I've interviewed so many people who have, who have had problems. It, it didn't, you know, change my outlook on George Jones one bit. He was still, he, he will still always be considered the king of country music in my book. And even That's after right. reading your book, he still is no matter what. That's uh, right. But, you know, life happens. But for you, Nancy, I noticed that you referenced George's problems as demons. Now, when you got saved, did you finally realize they were really actual demons he was dealing with? Yes, and I, I, I actually know they were demons that he was feeling because even George's attitude changed. His voice changed. I mean, he would not have the same voice. It was like a rough, mean voice. And I knew that was not him coming out of his mouth. And I knew then that I was battling demons. And I, if you got one out, I thought, well, I, hey, I did good. I got that one out. Now life is going to change. There was more and more and more. So he can't help those demons crawled in there. But I know that he wanted them out, and that's why that I did 
and fought as hard as I did. And let me tell you, those demons was mean. Mm-hmm. You know, the it's for me, and, and you told you told you know some straight up scary stories in this book. Yes. But when you yeah. told that story and where his voice changed, and I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, if you if you grow up in church, you you grow up and you understand that there is a heaven and there's a hell, and there are angels and there are devils. Mm-hmm. When I was reading that particular story in the book. All I could think about was when Jesus said, what's your name? And the demon comes back and says, Legion. And I'm thinking, this is the exact same story. <laughs> you're, you're right. Boy, that's so. That's a great insight. Absolutely. Yeah, and, there in Mark chapter 5, yeah. And for you, Nancy, by yourself, standing there, no one else around but you and, your, and you're hearing this, I cannot even imagine the fear that must have went through you every day yeah the fear was every day it was a i'm gonna cry (laughs) (laughs) it was a roller coaster every single day i mean some days you think okay man this is gonna be a good day god's gonna be good today i know he's gonna make him be good today and you know was for a little bit and then before the end of the day with a little more cocaine a little more whiskey no, then the demons came out and they were just like I said, they were mean. I mean, they did not like me. Yeah. Well, and I know I- that the time in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, that was a very dark time. I mean, you know, people always call Nashville Music City, but Muscle Shoals, Alabama was Recording City. That's mm-hmm. where all yeah. the fame, all most some of the biggest albums ever created was done in Muscle Shoals. So right. the alcohol is flowing, the drugs are flowing in and out of that town because of the recording artist, I'm sure. But here you are, and you come to the realization that you have to escape this place. You already had uh, incidences where it looked like there were people that wanted you, not necessarily George, but wanted you dead. That's right. And was it really true that these thugs literally took out an insurance policy on George in case he kicked over? They could still get money out of him. Very true. Very true. It just uh, that that was some mean people. Talk about evil. There was evil there. Mm-hmm. That I've never seen. You know, we would go to this bowling alley and i'm thinking well this is gonna be great we're gonna go bowling tonight there was no bowling i he said sit on this stool i'll be right back well i'm sitting there and he's gone and gone and gone and finally i got brave enough to go see what was going on behind that door and that's when they didn't like me because i was screaming and hollering that i know what you're doing and and uh i gotta get him out of here and it was uh they were controlling him and the ones that um, was was controlling him, they would control him in the studio also, making him cut albums. Well, let me ask you, Ken, because was there a p- particular part of the research and helping Nancy put this book together? Um, were there areas of the areas within these stories that maybe you were scratching your head thinking? How do I write this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, 
part of it, part of it was the the music aspect of it. But fortunately, because we do live here in, in Nashville, Tennessee, there are a lot of people around the city that have information about George, and and we were able to track down a lot of of, of uh, facts. But we wanted more than facts. We wanted the heart. That's what we were going for to get George's heart on paper and Nancy's heart on paper. The other the other part of it was the spiritual part, and you had alluded to earlier that fact of, of the demonic element in George. Some people say, "Oh, that doesn't happen nowadays." Well, oh, it, ha- yes, it happened it for George Jones. It happened for George Jones. And and but the, the the thing that I think Nancy realized, maybe it was even subconsciously she realized, or maybe God revealed it to her. I don't know, but she realized that Jesus was greater than any demon that could ever control George. If she just hung in there long enough, he would be delivered. You know, one of the things that, that amazes me when you read the Bible, those stories about the demons, they, they wouldn't even scare a child because in every situation, you see that Jesus is greater. And that's what Nancy came to realize. And, and that that's something we wanted to have come through on these pages. Yeah, there were some tough times. There were some scary times. Time they tried to push Nancy off the bridge there in Alabama. Whew, man. But at the same time, God was taking care of, of Nancy. And I don't think he was going to let her uh, let her die until she accomplished what she he wanted her to do, helping George to get free of all those things. So You know, when I was reading the book, they reminded me of an, an interview that I recently did. I'm not going to mention their name, but, um, and they have celebrity status and they found Christ. And they were telling me that, you know, when the Lord basically appeared to them, that he let them know, let this person know that I was with you the whole time. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, even with George, you know, he probably should have been dead way before the 1999 car accident, but the Lord was there the whole time. And Nancy, uh, one of the things I, I loved about the book was um, your friendships with Johnny and Waylon, but how did the friendships of June Carter Cash and Jesse Coulter help you as a woman, a wife, and a helpmate to George? June Carter was precious and June Carter would always take my hand and pray and she would say just hang in there God's with you and you you're you're a strong woman she said I've never met anybody as strong as you are so hang in there she said I got Johnny straightened out and I'm gonna tell you you're gonna straighten out George (laughs) and June uh Jesse was the same Jesse, uh, sometimes I'd get so aggravated and, and I'd say, Jesse, I just don't think it's working. And she said, oh, yeah, it's working. She said, let me tell you, you've got to save this man and nobody else can do it but you and God. She said, so, girl, I pray every night for you. And I'm telling you, it will work. You will get him out of this mess. And they all knew what I was going through. But they said, don't run. And I did not run because I knew Jesse was praying. I knew June was praying now and Johnny, because that was when Johnny had changed. And he was really, really into the good Lord. And so I felt like if I had all of them people behind me and God, what could go wrong except for me to fight? Three strong women there, Lord. Three strong women who would not give up. You took the words right out of my mouth because here I'm thinking Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, George Jones, 
And it was the women behind the scenes that were really the true driving force on how they became towards the end. Of course, Johnny, you know, Johnny uh, got there first. (laughs) But, uh, you know, walking tall and, um, you know, command, just just him walking to a room commands the room and because of his presence. But, um, and I think, well, Nancy, do you think that even Johnny's presence and knowing that he knew the Lord, uh, that George took notice of that? Oh, yes, I know he did. Yes, because whenever Johnny would start talking to George about God, George would calm down and listen. Then he'd say, can you tell that story again? So yes, he loved the stories that Johnny would tell him about God. Well, there are some things that I loved and and I noticed because, Ken, I've got to hand it to you. I don't think there's a better wordsmith than you. <laughs> Thank you. Where you're and Thank you're an incredible storyteller, especially with all of the research, because I know a lot of the people that you have uh, co-authored with. Um, I noticed in the book that George's past addictions that he still had, even in the midst of snorting uh, Mount Everest-sized mounds of cocaine or drinking whiskey and vodka till there was no more, um, he still had this respectful reverence of the Lord. Um, Mm -hmm. Was that, Nancy, was that the small glimmer of hope to you that would come to light after his car accident in 1999? Oh, yes. Yes. And he, George really believed in the Lord and he was very spiritual. It's just some things that people would never believe. But that's the only way that if he was so bad, all I had to do was tell him, you know, God's seeing everything you're doing. Your mama's seeing everything you're doing because she was already dead and gone. And he'd say, well, you think God's really seeing me? I'm like, yes, he is, Goofy. So you have got to realize, George, that God wants you to straighten up. He wants you to be a good boy. He wants you to love your wife, love your kids. And he said, well, I'm trying. And when he would say, I'm trying, I knew that I was getting to him. And he had that old Pentecostal background. Right. He knew a little bit about the Bible. All from yes, his early, early days going to church, he learned to sing in church. A lot of people don't know that George Jones learned to sing the way he did in church. Learned to play guitar from the uh, from a woman in the church. So there's, there's a connection there. The, the, well, the Spirit of God was already working in his life a long time before anybody knew it. And I, and as, as I was, you know, early on in the book, you know, you, you're uh, you're naming all of these small Texas towns, and literally they're right up the road from me. Really, Texas, Vider's not that far away. Probably more than much more than an hour away. Beaumont, you know, the list goes on, and and then I come to that area of the book where you talk about Jones Country. Was that a time with George that seemed to be a little bit more peaceful than yes, other times? Joe's country is whenever I got him uh, out of Alabama. We went to Louisiana first and, uh, well, I call it Karen Crow, but it was at uh, Lafayette. And we got down there. And once we got there, well, they found him again. So they got him again. So it took me a week and a half to find him. And when I did, he was so messed up. Uh, 
hadn't had anything to eat forever. He was on drugs so bad in a hotel. And uh, finally, those stupid people got their self caught because I kept calling and saying they're selling drugs, they're selling drugs. And they finally got them. So for them going to prison was me. I'm, I would not stop calling and telling. She was courageous. That's right. I, I just like. <clears throat> but that you, move to Texas was important for you. Yep. Wasn't? Yep. And they arrested them. They sent them to prison. One's out and one died as soon as he got out of prison. So the one that's uh, out, I try not to do <laughs> too much there because he was the meanest one. But they, when they started Jones Country too, that was important for George because that gave him that gave him a purpose. That gave him something to do with his time rather than sitting around waiting for somebody to come and, and feed him some more drugs. Nancy had him out there bulldozing, had him out there working. Had him out. busy. And, uh, and she well, was I, I, I noticed that and I thought, you know, by him, you know, he's building this place. Uh, he's got a passion for it. He has a vision for it. He, he could see it. You know, yeah. probably in his mind that, you know, what it's going to do and all of the fans coming and all the recording artists coming, it gave him a true sense of purpose. But mm -hmm. like you said, Ken, if George is sitting around and not doing too much, he's either going to find trouble or trouble finds him. Right. Vulnerable. That's true, for sure. True. Yeah. Well, being there at Jones Country, since you know Texas, well, that was uh, his sister living in Doucette. Out of Woodville. <laughs> wow. yeah, so, Woodville, Texas. Yes, and he was very, very close to his sister and to Uncle Doe, he called him, which was his brother-in-law. And it just made him feel like uh, that he had a family. And and then working with Jones Country and building that and having all those artists coming out and singing, and he, he's, he would sing on Sundays. It was absolutely a dream. I mean, he was living a good life then. And then I don't know what happened. It all changed. He was ready to sell, ready to move to Nashville. So he, I thought this might be good. You know, he, he accomplished something. He wanted to move to Nashville and start recording with Billy again and listening and finding songs. But um, it got a little bad after we moved back to Nashville. He seemed to be when he wasn't drinking and doing drugs, he seemed to be very, very humble. Yes. Um, he wasn't braggadocious knowing that he was George Jones. He didn't mm -hmm. seem to play off of that at all. He never did. Never. Uh, George Jones never realized how much people loved him and the fans loved him. He, he was just like, I would tell him things, even when he was dying, I said, you know, I'm going to carry your legacy on George because you're an icon. He said, I can't even spell that word, honey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he well, never, ever realized who he really was. I think he had that basic insecurity. You know? he, very much. Yeah. And, well, and a lot of stars do have an insecurity. It just, they, they either channel channel the insecurity to great stardom or they channel it into destruction and he did both he oh did yeah. Both. yeah that's right <laughs> he I mean, did he now well was, in 1999 is the car accident 
that almost killed George. And literally, the car accident was what two, three miles from the house in Nashville. Oh, three. not even that. Three miles. Yeah, it was three and, miles. And um, as I'm as I'm reading along, I see a name that brought a huge smile to my face, uh, and it happened and happened to be um, a bit of a family friend. So how instrumental, and actually a family friend to us, actually, uh, how instrumental was Vestal Goodman in George's oh. recovery from the accident? Vestal, You know, um, when George woke up from that uh, car accident in the hospital, the first thing he said is, I want to see Vestal. I want to see Vestal. I want to sing with Vestal. I want to pray with Vestal. So I called Ralph Emery. I said, you know where Vestal is? He said, I don't know where she is, but I'll find her. And she came back into town and she got with George. They prayed every single day. Mm -hmm. And when he got strong enough, him and Vestal did the video Angel Band. Yeah, and video, yeah. just what a precious <clears throat> lady. She'd come in that door. I'd be on the couch laying. I'd be so tired. She'd say, lay down, Angel. I'm going to go back here and talk to George. She'd go back there. You could hear her praying. You yeah, could hear her saying, funny. hey, devil, get under my feet. She yeah. said, I'm going to stomp you. <laughs> I mean, she would, and I just could hear her back there. She'd bring that banana pudding and she'd pray and she came Ooh. every day. That's a good combination there. Banana pudding, <laughs> praying, and, and George and Vestal singing together. Well, yes, so, I, yes. I have, to, I have to ask, did Vestal Goodman bring her handkerchief? She probably did. Oh, gosh, yes, and I still have one. <laughs> I have one in my nightstand. And whenever uh, George got sick in the hospital, I had one under his pillow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, I call that a prayer cloth. It mm -hmm. is. Yes, yes. She believed in prayer, and and she she prayed in such a way it was like she was talking personally <laughs> to God. She was she didn't care who heard her. She wasn't trying to put on any airs or you know, show how spiritual she was. She was going straight into the throne room of God and saying, "God, I'm here. We've got a problem here with George Jones." And, and I I know firsthand. My my mother in law was in the hospital, and Vestal came by and handkerchief in hand and I, I yeah um, she prays like she literally steps foot in the throne room of god and gets the job done we can and, learn but after i finished the book i was i was i took a break and i was pondering i was thinking about all of the stories and i was thinking nancy i i was thinking to myself she kept saying that George's kept mentioning George's demons. And I'm like, wait a minute. Then Vestal Goodman shows up. And I love the story on how you tell in the book. She gets to the front door. She's leaving and she stomps her foot and you ask her, what are you doing? <laughs> and I thought, oh my God. And then when she tells a story, she's stomping the demons that she knows that George had been carrying around for years and literally stomping them out of the house. And loud. <laughs> yeah, she was loud. not going to do that quietly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She could do it. Oh, yes. Well, I, I, one time she was praying so hard and she'd say, now, God, are you listening? 
I'm like, oh my gosh, she's she's fussing. She's bold. She's fussing at God. Yeah. And well, she was like, I knew you would. I knew you heard me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I cannot even imagine her and George in the same room together. Oh, Incredible. precious. Yeah. And they were Must singing have- gospel. So they they yeah. weren't singing country songs. They, oh, they were no, singing gospel. the old hymns of the church and uh, yep. victory in Jesus and what a friend we have in Jesus and all those wonderful songs. And and Vessel's favorite song was Angel Band. Angel Band, yeah. And she kept telling George, now you're going to have to get well. She said, because we're going to cut that video. And George told her, well, as soon as I get my voice back, he said, you got it. We're cutting that video. And they did. They, they did Angel Band. You know, I had to go back. And I actually pulled up the Happy Goodmans just so I could hear Howard Goodman sing The Lighthouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and how long after the accident did it take for George to get his voice uh, completely recovered? A lot of praying. And I would say probably to get it really back, it probably took from six to nine months. Yeah. Because he was yeah. hitting some notes on the album with the song Choices, which was a song he was listening to whenever the wreck occurred, uh, that once he came out of the hospital, it wasn't so easy to hit because no. they put a, a, a trach in his throat. Well, uh, for a singer, uh, uh, that's that's not a good thing to have have a trach in your, in your vocal cords and all the rest of that. So he found it not quite so easy to hit those notes. But little by little, he was determined to get back oh, to yes, where he, he was. Oh, yes, he was. Well, did they, did they hold, cause I know that he was recording the album choices. Did they hold the album until he was, till his voice fully recovered? Did he have no, to do additional tracks for that? Finished. He'd already yeah. finished choices. Yeah, it was finished. Yeah, yeah it, it was finished. It didn't come out until after the accident. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so then when he finally started touring, he already had the voice back to sing those songs. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, when was the moment that you realized that the good man you knew was always inside of George Jones finally showed up and stayed for good? That one is so simple to tell you. We were out, we had a hundred acres. We was walking around. The doctor said, get him up, make him walk, make him walk. We were walking and we got down a little bridge right there on our property. And uh, he said, honey, I can't walk anymore. I'm out of breath. I'm, I'm tired. He said, go get the golf cart. I said, okay. So I'm walking up the hill to go get the golf cart out of the garage. And I heard him say, God, if you help me get through this, I will never drink again. I will never smoke again. I'll be the husband that my wife wants. And at that moment, I believed him. All the times he said before, didn't believe him. That moment, it was like God just said, okay, you're healed. And he was a perfect husband until 2013 when he died. He really did quit drinking. He quit drinking, smoking. Well, he'd run everybody crazy because we'd go to the mall and and I would say, he'd say, I'm going to go in the car. I'll wait on you. I come out and he had two or three people lined up out there telling him, put those cigarettes out. (laughs) Son, if you know what I do, you wouldn't smoke them cigarettes. So he was like preaching after that. This is something that smoked since he was a little boy. Since he was six years old. Yeah, I mean, when I, I mean, the greatest thing about this book, ladies and gentlemen, is that every page you can visualize what's going on. 
and really have to hand it to Kim Ken Abraham for bringing Georgia's story to life in, in a way that is that is so easy to understand and read and enjoy, even you know reading some of the bad times. But what did it mean to George Jones to be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame? Oh, that was the most important thing in the world to him. Sure. And I will for, never forget the night that they inducted him into the Country Music Hall of Fame. That's the first time I've ever seen him cry. Mm-hmm. And he was that excited. Wow. I mean, one of, the, one of the moments in the book that I absolutely fell in love with was, and, and it made... And people still talk about it. They CMA history with, <laughs> with the honor that Alan Jackson did himself going on stage to sing his song, but stops in the middle of it and yes. starts singing choices. And I thought, that's how you get even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because see, they wanted George to come on the show, but they wasn't going to let him sing, but just a little bit of choices. And it was a hit by then. Yeah. yeah. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, that song almost killed me. And besides, I said, that's my favorite song. I love it. And so he passed on it. Well, Alan got word of it. And boy, oh, Alan went out there. <laughs> and he could have ruined his whole career by doing that. Yeah. But he didn't care. He, he knew George loved cho- choices. And that's why Alan did it. Stopped right, right yeah. in the middle of one, oh, of, one of his own hit songs and sang a George Jones yeah, song. Yeah, he was doing Papa Top. Yeah, yeah he, was doing, he was doing Papa Top. And it, it was so funny because there was a few moments in the book that literally made me laugh out loud. And that one made me laugh because Alan Jackson, um, he knows the perfect way that if there's something that he doesn't like, he's going to let you know in a very subtle manner. Now, that one oh. wasn't really subtle. But I, I, there, there was another award show that um, they told him, well, you're going to go out and, and you're going to sing your song, but you're going to sing it to the, the backing track. Mm-hmm. And he told his drummer, he goes, don't use drumsticks. <laughs> so if you watch the video, the drummer's back there just beating just, away, but there's yeah. nothing in his hands. And I thought, <laughs> that is like the biggest practical joke by Alan Jackson ever. So I'm thinking, yeah. Only Alan had enough guts to pull the pop a top and then stop and start singing choices. And I'm like, more power to you, because that's why that's what creates legends. That's right. That's and, right. And, you know, he learned a lot from George Jones because they were all buddies, George and, and, and Nancy and Denise and Alan. So yeah, they they they'd learned a lot from George, that's for sure. Well, how much did George become a mentor to people like Alan and Brad Paisley? Uh, you know probably Brian White and, and, you know, some of the faith Hill. I mean, what did, what did those young people mean to him? Uh, Randy Travis. Oh Randy yeah. And Jamie right Johnson. Yeah. Jamie. They, all those people worship, they worship him. They would be like, if he walked in a room, you, you know, some of them wouldn't even hardly talk. They were like, that's George Jones, you know, and George would be, Oh, stop it. You know, they, they just loved him and he, he loved them. He loved them because they were singing country music. Yeah. He, Randy Travis, uh, 
looked at George almost like a father figure. And when when George wanted Randy to close the show instead of George, Randy he, he about he about freaked out right there because you know, no, you, you you're the star. And George said, No, son, there's no stars. You you're you're hot. you're you're hot as can be. How do you say that? So you know, you're hot, something like that. And uh, and Randy hotter than a two dollar pistol, something like yeah, hotter than <laughs> well, a two dollar. Yeah, because right, th- I think at that time what. Uh, Old eight by ten was out. Um, yeah. you know, forever and ever, amen. And and I know George really loved Randy because Randy was the one that really revived that traditional country music that just made what uh, I'm trying to. Re- my I gosh, I'm trying to remember what year was that. The nineties when that yeah. Yeah. the eighties yeah. and nineties. You all boys. I mean, yeah. George loved that song. Yeah. So him and Randy was really close. But uh, he always said that Randy is the one that bought back country music. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, there's a chapter in your book that really surprised me, but I absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, Married to the King. And you tell a very touching story about your friendship with both Lisa Marie and Priscilla Presley. Why was that chapter important to have in your book? Because I loved Lisa Marie so much. I knew she was a very troubled child. And I moved her to Nashville. And uh, she wanted to move to Nashville. She was trying to get away from the church. Scientology. Yes. And I told her, uh, you know, we'll move you here and we'll protect you. And and I did. I moved her here and uh, she would... Somebody would move next door. She would call. You got to see who it is because she was scared they were after her. Mm-hmm. So I, I got very close, close with her. And then she would be scared sometimes. She'd call me two, three o'clock in the morning. And I would say, Lisa, you got to go to sleep. You woke me up. I know, but I need my mama. And I'm saying, okay, I'm right here. So then I would fuss at her and she said, you're as bad as my mama. You just chew me out all the time. But then me and Priscilla got really close and Priscilla would always thank me for helping Lisa. But then Lisa wanted to go back to California and then she got back on her, her drugs and got back in the hospital. And I think she was having, she just was a troubled child. She just, I tried so much to get her to pray and get with me and, and get God on her side. And, and she would, she would for a while, she'd be happy. She'd have her taco Tuesday and have people over. And she was just a loving child. And now, I did she her. live at the house with you or did she have a no, place no, in Nashville? She had, uh, we found her house and she had a, she was Elise and it, and it was her, her husband, and the twins. Yeah. And you and you and Priscilla have remained close. We're know. still close. Yeah. I talked to her last week. Yeah. Priscilla? Yeah. She's agreed to do an interview with me, so we'll, we're still working oh. on the uh, to confirm the date. So oh, uh, I look forward to that. And uh, But uh, again, what an incredible life story. And I love the fact that you not only told George's story, you told your own. So mm-hmm. here's a book. And again, is it how is it writing a book that's half biography and half autobiography? 
Oh, that's for sure. That, that is a challenge. But I guess that's probably the, the, the story of all of our lives is we have those stories that have shaped us and made us into the people that we are. And that was Nancy and, and Nancy's early days with her mom. Her mom didn't treat her very well. They say that's horrible. But that got her ready to deal with the man, George Jones, whenever that opportunity came along. So all of us have those kind of things in our lives. And, you, and Ward, you're so kind. You give me far too much credit. Nancy's a great storyteller. All I had to do was put the nouns and the verbs in the right order. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it is. It's interesting though because those stories that shape our lives, and sometimes we think, "Well, that's that's just horrible. That's awful." And yet, God uses even those things in our lives to help somebody else. And that's really our goal in this book. Nancy didn't need to write a book, and she didn't need to work with me on writing a book. But she wanted the world to know the true George Jones, and most of all, she wanted to know that she wanted the world to know the Lord Jesus Christ, who had changed her life and changed George's life and could change anybody's life if we give him a chance. And that's what I really want out there. I mean, this world's in a mess. I mean, it's terrible. I just want people to know all you got to do is put your hand out and God's going to grab it and he's going to help you. And ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you this. When you read Playing Possum, you're going to know. <laughs> you're going to know. Yeah. Uh, Jesus was there the whole time. And, you know, and Ken, you know this well. Nancy, you know this very well. We read the stories in the Bible, and even the disciples had questioned Jesus. Well, why was this man blind for 38 years? You know, and and of course, Jesus gives us an answer that we don't really fully comprehend. Well, this is for the glory of God. Yeah. But sometimes, well, things, you know, bad things happen to good people. But sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the time, God will take that test and turn it into a testimony. And Nancy, it took 30 years for that test to become a testimony. That's exactly right. Well, I, I feel better by getting it out. And I also know that every day that all of that was going on, you look back now and I know God was right there just pushing me on. Go for it, girl. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and I think one of one of the most touching uh, parts of the book is. Can you share with us George's last words? You ready? I'm ready. Okay, <laughs> we was in the hospital, and he hadn't talked for two or three days, just laying there, not saying a word, just kind of semi coma, I guess. And I'm rubbing his feet and and just like praying, really. Just like, oh, you know, I wish that I could get him home. And all of a sudden, with that deep voice he had, he said, well, hello there. He says, uh, I've been looking for you. My name is George Jones. And he was gone. And I think that was God's way of telling me that I took him home. George was introducing himself to God. Well, that was be his mannerism. <laughs> yeah. That's how he was. That was the sweetness of him right there. And the moment I read that, I knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it even brings tears to my eyes now just thinking about it. <laughs> because it's just an, it was an incredible story. Yes, Ken? I said, the good news is God knew George long before George knew God. <laughs> well, God, he's introducing him. That would be George. That would be exactly what he would have done. 
Well, I, I will tell you this after, I, you know, once I got done with the book and and uh, was spending time uh, putting the interview together, I was thinking I would have just simply called the book Jesus and Jones. We almost did. Well, we did. And I, you tell them what happened. <laughs> well, you, you know, sometimes in the publishing world, Ward, they, they say, well, you know, if you talk about Jesus too much, people aren't going to want to read this book. We don't believe that, but unfortunately the publishing companies did. And uh, so they said, no, we don't think you ought to do that. Well, we said, all right, fine, but we're going to find a way to talk about Jesus in this book anyhow. And Nancy did. So You need well, to go and Google Sam Moore and New Blue. They had the song Jesus and Jones. Yeah, what's the song? Well, I think that um, we need a movie called Jesus and Jones. Yeah. I will uh, agree. We, we need we need some of the biggest country stars out there. Um, and I would probably, if it was me, I'd probably pick Chris Stapleton to do it uh, to sing a song, a, a newly written song called Jesus and Jones. Um, needs to be done. Because it it just it just goes hand in hand. It tells the story, um, but out of all of the biographies, the autobiographies that I have ever read, I have to truly, honestly say this one's my favorite. Oh, you're so well, kind. Thank you. And, thank I, you and, and I have read about <laughs> some of the most famous people on this planet, but this story. Everybody needs to. Re- I don't care if you're not a country music fan. I don't care if you're not into George Jones. You need to read the story because there are life lessons in this book that are hidden gems. Mm-hmm. And I think if people really just read it and not, I don't read books like across the surface scanning. I read to read between the lines. Every word is there on purpose. That's right. And, uh, so, and I, hopefully I'm not going to have tears in my eyes when I do this, but, uh, um, oh man, <laughs> I, I, myself I wasn't going to do it, but it's going to happen anyway. But, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, George Jones has millions of fans around the world. He's been called the king of country music. He's been called the greatest country music singer of all time, but the music world mourned when George passed away in 2013 with many honoring his life and his musical legacy. But I think much of that honor should go to his wife, Nancy Jones. A lesser woman would have given up. And I believe that the Lord's hand was on both Nancy and George throughout their 30 years of marriage. And you see the wedding vows still read till death do us part. But when that day comes, the real answer is, where are you going to spend eternity? So in honor, (laughs) so in honor of Nancy's incredible tenacity of never giving up, look, Jesus never gave up on her. Jesus never gave up on George, but she found Jesus herself. So I want to give you an, an eternal opportunity not to wait to find Jesus at the end of your life, but to find the Lord now <laughs> um, while you still have life to live. 
So, so if you, so if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let me introduce him to you. So, if you are ready to have your sins forgiven, washed away, and forgotten forever, well, this prayer I want you to pray along with me is actually at the very end of Nancy's book, and for good reason. So, if it wasn't for Nancy, George would have never met Jesus and would have never seen the face of God. So, if you don't know Jesus... Repeat this. Heavenly Father, I come to you from the depths of my heart, realizing I have sinned, and I repent of my sins, and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died on the cross for me, paying the penalty for my sins. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and live in me now, and I receive you by faith as my personal Lord and Savior. I receive your Holy Spirit as my comforter. Help me obey you and do your will. It is in Jesus' name that I believe and receive the things that I have prayed this day at this very time. So I choose to follow Jesus. Amen. So with that prayer, you have... Receive the promise of eternal life in heaven. And when you get there, well, thank George Jones for marrying Nancy. And Nancy and Ken, I want to thank you both for coming onto the show to share with us your memories of George Jones. Oh, thank you, Ward. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, ladies and gentlemen, you're very welcome. And uh, both of you are always welcome back onto my program. And ladies and gentlemen, you can buy a copy of Playing Possum, My Memories of George Jones on Amazon and where books are sold. Again, this is a must-have and it's a must-read. So I want to thank you for watching. And as for me, I'll see you next time. <laughs>